1: Away we go. Episode 245 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, February 7th, 2022. Hope you had a nice weekend. Did you have a nice weekend? We had a nice weekend. We pulled something off over the weekend that I did not think was possible. Uh, So if you live in the Washington, D.C. area, you are familiar with Interstate 66, a.k.a. the road of Satan, okay? 66 is a demonic road, a road on which there is always traffic, a road on which there has been construction for years, a road on which there will never not be construction. Driving on 66 is torture. Anyone who drives on 66 with any kind of frequency understands this. There's never not traffic, no matter the day no matter the time. Lucifer himself could not have devised a more evil road than 66. Well, my wife's cousin lives off 66 in Virginia, so we drive out there every so often. We drove out there on Saturday for his one-year-old daughter's birthday party. The party was what you would expect, but the drive was not. Incredibly, amazingly, inexplicably, miraculously, no traffic. I could not believe it. And this was the case going there. And then was the case coming back from there. And we drove out there in the 2 p.m. hour and then drove back in the 6 p.m. hour. I was certain that we were going to get slammed. I was positive that we were looking at an hour plus easily to and fro. And yet somehow, some way, no traffic either way. I'm sitting in the car and I'm saying nothing. This is like a no-hitter. You don't talk about it until it's over. So yes, we overcame the road of Satan on Saturday. That was my weekend. Hello and welcome to a Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, also on Saturday was the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. And this year's Senior Bowl, a very significant Senior Bowl for us as Commanders fans. Uh, That's going to take some getting used to, us as Commanders fans. Because this year's Senior Bowl loaded with the top quarterbacks in the upcoming NFL draft. Five of the perceived top six quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL draft were on Senior Bowl rosters Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Carson Strong, Sam Howell, and Malik Willis. And so, coming up in a bit is a special guest who will talk about the quarterbacks in the 2022 draft and who was in Mobile for Senior Bowl week, watching the quarterbacks and talking to NFL executives and scouts. NFL draft analyst Thor Nystrom of NBC Sports Edge. The Mighty Thor will be back on the Al Galdi podcast. Thor's a great guy. He's excellent at talking NFL draft and college football. Draft season has begun. The Commanders have the number 11 pick in the 2022 draft. And as you may have heard, the Commanders are trying to upgrade at quarterback this offseason. So high-level insight and analysis from Thor Nystrom is on the way. Also regarding our Commanders. Next segment, in fact, My thoughts on big news on Friday in the workplace misconduct scandal. Congress's Committee on Oversight and Reform releasing multiple documents that shed new light on how the scandal has been handled by the NFL. Uh, The documents do the NFL and Dan Snyder no favors. Things now even worse for Donny Boy off that roundtable. Last Thursday. Uh, I will talk Wizards. Their mess of a season got even messier over the weekend. A 95-80 loss to the NBA-leading Phoenix Suns at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. After the game, Montrez Harrell sounded off on the Wizards. You got to hear this, and you will hear this during our Wizards segment, which also will include my reaction to the stunning departure of Sashi Brown from the Wizards front office. Where'd that come from? Sashi Brown just got a promotion and a contract extension on November 17th. Now he's gone. All kinds of things are happening right now with the Wizards. Uh, and speaking of area basketball teams having bad seasons, Maryland and Georgetown, each team lost again on Sunday afternoon. The Terrapins fell to three and nine in the Big Ten with an 82-67 loss at number 16 Ohio State. The Hoyas fell to 0-10. In the Big East with a 71-52 loss to number 15 Providence at Capital One Arena. It really is something just how bad Maryland and Georgetown are this season. I'll talk Terps and Hoyas. And also we'll discuss two college basketball winners in the region over the weekend. Virginia and Virginia Tech. The Cavaliers improved to 8-5 in the ACC with a 71-58 win over Miami at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on Saturday evening. And the Hokies improved to 5-7 in the ACC with a 76-71 win at Pitt on Saturday night. I did not watch a single second of the Pro Bowl on Sunday afternoon. I get a kick out of all of the people who complain about the Pro Bowl. Twitter on Sunday was filled with people whining about the Pro Bowl and how bad the football in the Pro Bowl is. Of course, Pro Bowl football is bad. It's a joke. Offensive and defensive linemen just like stand there. Tackling barely happens. But A, uh, that's how the Pro Bowl should be because no team wants its players getting hurt in the meaningless, worthless Pro Bowl. B, the Pro Bowl has been this way for years now. This is not new, and yet every year people act like this is new. And C, the Pro Bowl does a good television rating. You know, all of these people who complain about the Pro Bowl, what are they doing? They are watching the Pro Bowl. And the Pro Bowl every year ends up doing a good number, a better number than you may think. What really mattered from Pro Bowl weekend for us as Commanders fans was the picture. Ah, yes, the picture. Did you see the picture? A photo that Jonathan Allen's wife, put up on Instagram. The photo is of Jonathan Allen, his wife, Hannah Allen, Seattle Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson, and his wife, Sierra, who in case you don't know, is a singer and an actress. But of course, the photo became a thing. These four people standing happily side by side The photo very much became a thing because, of course, of our commander's quest for a franchise quarterback and the talk of the Seahawks perhaps, maybe, possibly trading Russell Wilson. So you see this photo, you see Jonathan Allen and Russell Wilson and their wives standing together happily in this photo, and you say to yourself as a commander's fan, oh boy, Jonathan Allen and Russell Wilson are friends? Jonathan Allen and Russell Wilson have a relationship? Maybe that means that Wilson wants to come to the Commanders. Look, uh, I would love for that to happen. And it is true that Russell Wilson went to high school in Richmond, Virginia, but unless he just is so unhappy with the Seahawks, why, if you're the Seahawks, would you trade Russell Wilson? And if you're the Seahawks and you, for whatever reason, did trade Russell Wilson, Why would you trade him to another team in the NFC? Like, what exactly would be the reason for the Seahawks to do that? The Seahawks aren't rebuilding. Their head coach still is Pete Carroll. He's staying on, at least for another season. And Carroll now is 70. Uh, The Seahawks play in a brutal division in the NFC West. Wilson is under contract through the 2023 season. Like, what exactly would be the reason for the Seahawks to trade Russell Wilson This offseason. And like I said, if the Seahawks, for whatever reason, did decide to trade Wilson, why the heck would the Seahawks trade Wilson to another NFC team? Uh, Like, of course, I want for the commanders to try to trade for Russell Wilson. And I very much salute Jonathan Allen for his service in trying to recruit Russell Wilson to the commanders. I very much salute Commander Allen in his attempt to woo Russell Wilson into becoming a commander. But This photo can only mean so much. Like, people went nuts over this photo. I was like, is Wilson holding a contract with the commanders in this photo? Is Wilson wearing a commander's jersey in this photo? Like, what am I missing? At the end of the day, this is just a photo, and so many photos get taken at the Pro Bowl every year. But no doubt, if you are the commanders, you got to aim high, and you got to try. I'm all for trying, uh, however unlikely the desired outcome may be. One other thing before we get to some feedback. We now have yet another former offensive assistant for Mike Shanahan during his time as Redskins head coach as an NFL head coach. The Miami Dolphins have hired Mike McDaniel as their head coach. Mike McDaniel had been the San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator. Uh, Their head coach, of course, is former Skins offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan, but Mike McDaniel was with the Skins from 2011 through 2013. Mike McDaniel was an offensive assistant in 2011 and 2012. He then served as receivers coach in 2013. So yes, the list now is even longer. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, and now Mike McDaniel. Four guys who were on Mike Shanahan's Redskins coaching staff now are NFL head coaches. So expect yet another round of this being beaten to death by the media, especially the national media, which will ignore all context and nuance for why all four of these guys ended up not being a Washington head coach. I did a whole thing on this just a few weeks ago, episode 232. Look, there's no doubt that that Mike skins coaching staff was impressive, really impressive. And there's no doubt that Dan Snyder screwed up, totally screwed up inciting with Robert Griffin III and not Mike Shanahan. But the situation is a lot more complicated than, oh, the skin screwed up in not hiring any of these guys as head coach. Like, yeah, there's a little more to the situation than just that. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Ramesh in the United Kingdom. I'm one of your regular listeners from the UK. Great podcast and essential listening for fans of the Commanders. Well, thank you, Ramesh. Continues, Ramesh. You mentioned recently that you get a lot of downloads from the UK, and I might be able to explain why. In the UK, Channel 4 started showing NFL highlights in 1982, and the Redskins picked up a lot of UK fans that season due to the Skins Super Bowl win for that season and sustained success under Joe Gibbs during that decade. American football grew in popularity in the 1980s but never really sustained success in the long term against various domestic sports. This is understandable since in those pre-internet days it was hard being a fan in the UK. There was one hourly highlight show per week on TV. The only live game all year was the Super Bowl for which coverage starts at 11 p.m., In the UK. Nowadays, American football has almost zero media profile in the UK. Although American football has never been easier to be a fan of, I don't see this changing as soccer has never been more successful and has evolved to become a huge business with highly paid stars and lucrative television contracts, just like the NFL, only on a global basis. Back to Washington. It's good to see the team is now focusing on solving the quarterback problem, but I'm concerned that our highly drafted edge rushers still need to be brought in line as this is essential for success next season. Early signs based on Chase Young's recent comments are not encouraging. Uh, Thank you for that email and insight, Ramesh. You see, we now have a better understanding for why the Commanders have such a command when it comes to having a following in the UK. It is something. How many Commanders fans are in the UK. Heck, I, on last Tuesday's show, episode 241, had on Commanders analyst Mark Bullock, a great X's and O's guy. He's a Commanders fan who's based in the UK. Speaking of this podcast being international, email from Steve in France. Wee oui, oui. Right, Steve? First and foremost, I want to thank you for your never-ending shoot from the hip coverage of the Washington sports scene, especially The Washington Commanders, I've been listening to your various broadcasts for a while now and thoroughly enjoy your podcast over the almost one year now. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Continue, Steve. I live in France and wanted to give my two cents on the new name. Commanders? As I'm sure you're aware, the new initials of WC are used throughout Europe to signify a water closet, a.k.a. a toilet. Parentheses, this should give you material for years to come. Did the million-dollar branding company not realize this? I hope this is not an indication of the direction that the team that I've followed for 40-plus years is heading, as this path obviously has been the path that we've been on for a while now. In any case, keep up the excellent work and keep churning out the outstanding coverage. Thank you for the kind words, Steve. Much appreciated. Hope that all is well in France. And in fact, I did not know that. I did not know that the Washington Commander's initials, WC, can stand for water closet. Who knew? Uh, Maybe that's why. We don't see much of any usage of WC uh, by the commanders. Email from Dr. Muhammad in Hawaii on the commanders. Writes the doctor, one of many doctors who listen to this podcast, which is officially the most popular Washington, D.C. sports podcast among doctors. Did you know nine out of 10 doctors recommend this podcast? And the only reason that it's not 10 out of 10 doctors is because the 10th doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. Writes Dr. Muhammad, I don't hate the name. Nothing will beat Redskins. And honestly, very few plausible names could make our team more appealing. I rooted for the team while it was the WFT and I'm going to root for the team now. I do want to push back regarding the comms nickname that was mentioned by an emailer on your pod being specific to military or meaning something special. Comms is short for communications and isn't any more special than any other abbreviation (Parenthesis source. I am currently in the army. What I hate is Jason effing Wright being brought on as an innovator, but actually being a smug two-faced, condescending politician. He pumped up the fan base with this whole process being open and fan input being considered. We all knew that input didn't actually mean that the team was going to bend over backwards to accommodate us fans. At the end of the day, the team has to honor copyrights, etc. So why not just say that? Go with what you think is best and not waste two years of our time. What we got at the end was big-time hype for 2.2.22, but in reality, there was no fanfare, no fans, no goodwill gestures, no grand reveal, only a meager announcement on a New York-based television show, and the announcement was scooped by the team's official Twitter account. All of this was followed by the team trotting out old players for their endorsements of the new name. Jason Wright said that the team is working on a fight song and a mascot. That was embarrassing. Why did you get out this palindrome date of 2222 if you were gonna give me an incomplete product? Those jerseys seem to be made by three different designers with no unity slash common thread running through the unis. Why are you going to lie to me with this BS of the W logo having lines to honor the military ranks? I am a friggin' army captain and I have never seen anyone with ranks looking like that. Jason Wright is a liar and says, oh, we didn't have jerseys because of the supply chain situation. BS. I have a novel idea. Don't have the reveal when you're not ready. Jason Wright is Bruce Allen, but with a better veneer so as not to make the fans immediately puke when they see his sleaziness. I'm glad that the team had all of this misdirection planned because the team sure made me believe that it was going to handle something right. Let's win on the field because we sure as S are not going to win off the field. End of rant. Love your show. Looking forward to the pod. P.S. If you could please give a shout out to my wife, Fatima, who tolerated me writing this email for 30 minutes during our bedtime. <laughs> Thank you for that email, Dr. Muhammad. That's some passion right there from the doctor. And yes, absolutely. Shout out, Fatima. I hope that you keep putting Dr. Muhammad in his place. But there you had Dr. Muhammad, who's not just a doctor, he's an army captain. Not thrilled with the team president, Jason Wright. Jason Wright is Jason Wrong for Dr. Muhammad. Maybe Dr. Muhammad can help. Jason Wright. Well, if you own or run a Washington DC based or West Virginia based business, the law firm of Paulson and Nace can help you with your business insurance policy of what you've had to deal with With the COVID-19 pandemic, a business insurance policy is meant to reimburse you for losses incurred in catastrophes like fires or burglaries. But business insurance also includes business interruption insurance. With the pandemic and resulting restrictions, there may be legal options available to you to recoup your losses. Contact Paulson and Nace to find out more. The attorneys at Paulson and NACE can help you review your business insurance policy and understand what options you have in running a business in these uncertain times. You see, Paulson and NACE is a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wrong. Paulson and NACE will fight for you Additionally, Paulson and NACE handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. Paulson and NACE offers fierce advocacy on behalf of medical malpractice, birth injury, and personal injury victims throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. So if you have a case, contact Paulson and NACE. Whether you're dealing with a business insurance situation, personal injury situation, or medical malpractice situation, contact Paulson and and Nace. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. These guys are excellent at what they do. Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yes, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment. See what Paulson and Nace can do for you. Just call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case contact Paulson and Nace. All right, before we get to our special guest, NFL Draft Analyst Thor Nystrom of NBC Sports Edge to talk quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL Draft off Saturday afternoon Senior Bowl. And with our commanders being all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback this offseason, I do want to hit on major commanders news that broke on Friday. You know, I early in Friday's show, episode 244, joked in wondering what might happen on Friday with the commanders off the major developments last Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, Wednesday, with the team, of course, branded as 2.2.22. We had the announcement of the name commanders. Thursday, uh, 2.3.22. We had new allegations levied against Dan Snyder at that roundtable before Congress regarding the team's Workplace misconduct scandal. And it turns out that on Friday, on 2.4.22, we had more major news in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. So, with all of this workplace misconduct scandal stuff, it is easy to get confused. It is easy to get bogged down. There's a lot to take in, there's a lot to digest. This can all become very tedious. It's not always presented in the clearest of ways. By the media. You know, one of our mottos on this podcast is that we follow sports so that you don't have to. So, here simply is what came out on Friday. And what came out on Friday was a big deal. So, Congress's involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal has been taking place via this committee, what is the Committee on Oversight. And reform. The efforts of the committee have been led by two members of Congress, Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and Representative Raja Krishnamurthy, chairman of the Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy. It was the Committee on Oversight and Reform that last Thursday hosted what was called a hybrid roundtable that ended up featuring six former Washington employees talking about the workplace misconduct that they witnessed and experienced during their time working for the team. Well, the Committee on Oversight and Reform on Friday released multiple documents that shed new light on the NFL's handling of this Washington workplace misconduct scandal. One document that the Committee on Oversight and Reform released on Friday was something called a common interest agreement. The agreement was signed by the NFL in Washington in September 2020, just days after the NFL took over the investigation by attorney Beth Wilkinson. As you may recall, the Beth Wilkinson investigation started in July 2020 of Dan Snyder in a statement confirming reports that the then Washington football team was having Wilkinson lead an investigation of the workplace misconduct scandal. Well, this common interest agreement included the NFL And the then Washington football team pledging to pursue a quote, joint legal strategy, end quote, and agreeing not to share any privileged documents or information exchanged during the investigation without the other's consent. In other words, the NFL and the then Washington football team would be partners, would be two peas in a pod, would be in cahoots, at least regarding what was shared in the investigation. This is huge, because given this agreement, it appears as if the NFL might not be able to release the specific findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation without the permission of Dan Snyder, the guy whose team was being investigated. Now, of course, the NFL doesn't want to have out there these specific findings. Of the Beth Wilkinson investigation. So it makes sense that the NFL and Dan Snyder struck this common interest agreement, this joint legal strategy of okay, we're not going to be sharing any privileged documents or information exchanged during the investigation without the other's consent. Now, the picture of why the NFL is so reluctant to be more transparent about the findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation is even clear. The league, almost certainly on purpose, right, structured things so that the league would only be allowed to release the full results of the investigation with Dan's permission, which the league knew that it would never get. And clearly, neither the NFL nor Dan wants the results of the investigation out there because those results would only make the NFL and Dan look worse. But to what extent are there full results of the Beth Wilkinson investigation? when the results of the investigation were put out there last summer, we got a summary of the findings, but we never got much in the way of specific results of the investigation. Well, as I've been saying, as far as we know, there is no written report for the findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation. All of the cries to hashtag release the report sound great, but there may well be no actual written report to release. The NFL Had Beth Wilkinson present her findings via an oral report, which pretty clearly was strategic. If you do not have a written Beth Wilkinson report, then there can never be a written Beth Wilkinson report to release. Well, how about this? Another document that the Committee on Oversight and Reform released on Friday was an engagement letter from August 2020 between the then Washington football team and Beth Wilkinson's law firm. The engagement letter clearly states that her firm would, quote, complete a written report of its findings and make recommendations regarding any remedial measures, end quote. (laughs) So there it is right there. You are to submit a written report. However, as a press release that was put out by the Committee on Oversight and Reform on Friday, stated, quote, after assuming oversight of the investigation, however, Mr. Goodell, as in, of course, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, personally instructed that Miss Wilkinson was to present him with oral, not written findings, in a stark departure from the league's previous practices. When the investigation concluded in July 2021, the NFL only released a four-page press release End quote. So what we have from these documents released by the Committee on Oversight and Reform on Friday are one, a setup by the NFL and Dan Snyder so that nothing would be shared regarding the Beth Wilkinson investigation that either side didn't want shared. Two, the NFL having changed course with the Beth Wilkinson investigation by having it go from having Beth Wilkinson produce a written report to having her present an oral. Report. Now, combine these things with the new bombshell allegations specific to Dan Snyder that came out in the roundtable on Thursday, including what former Washington cheerleader and marketing manager Tiffany A. Johnston said. Remember, Tiffany A. Johnston said that she was, quote, strategically, end quote, seated by Dan Snyder at a work dinner so that he could put, quote, his hand on the middle of my thigh until I physically removed it, end quote. And then that Dan later that night, quote, aggressively pushed end quote, her toward his limo before his attorney intervened, advising Dan not to engage in the, quote, very bad idea, end quote. Things, my friends, are getting worse and worse for the Danny. Things, my friends, are getting worse and worse for Donny boy, Uh, and worse and worse for the NFL in this Washington workplace misconduct scandal you know Ron Rivera has said that the launch of the new name means that it's time to look forward not backward uh Ronnie boy uh, not so fast my friend it feels like we've had nothing but looking backward uh, since the name commanders was announced last Wednesday uh Thursday was the roundtable Friday was the releasing of these two key documents now what's also notable to me is this the documents were provided to the committee on oversight and reform by the NFL. Uh, the Committee on Oversight and Reform releasing the documents that the committee released on Friday marked the first time that the committee had released documents provided to the committee by the NFL regarding Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. So you think about this, the committee has been quite smart in its timing of things. You know, the committee held this roundtable on Thursday, the day after, the day after the announcement of the name commanders, and then the committee the day after the roundtable, in a clear effort to continue the momentum from the roundtable, in a clear effort to make it so that the news cycle didn't lose interest in what was said at the roundtable, released these documents. Very smart, very shrewd on the part of the committee. Jordan Sieve is an attorney for Dan Snyder. Jordan Sieve released the following statement On Friday. Quote, the former team employee who spoke for the first time yesterday resigned through a thankful and cheery resignation note more than 13 years ago, citing her five and a half wonderful years working for the Washington Redskins. We understand that she was approached by the Wilkinson Law Firm in 2020 as part of its investigation, but she refused to be interviewed. The unsworn allegations she made for the first time yesterday against Mr. Snyder are false, and have been categorically denied by Mr. Snyder. Regarding today's letter from the committee to the NFL, neither Mr. Snyder nor the team has ever done anything to block the committee from receiving any documents that is requested from the NFL that are not expressly protected by attorney-client privilege or attorney-work product. Finally, all remaining non-privileged emails are being provided to the committee shortly End quote. So there's a lot in that statement. Among the things in that statement, yes, is the recognition that Tiffany A. Johnston had declined to be interviewed by Beth Wilkinson as part of the Wilkinson investigation. But what you also had very clearly as a part of that statement from Dan Snyder's attorney, Jordan Sieve, was an effort to discredit Tiffany A. Johnston. Uh, Remember, Dan Snyder has said very little throughout this workplace misconduct scandal in terms of responding to specific allegations, but he did put out a lengthy statement last Thursday. That statement included him saying that Johnston and another former team employee, Melanie Coburn, were lying with what they said at the roundtable on Thursday. Quote While past conduct at the team was unacceptable, the allegations leveled against me personally in today's roundtable, many of which are well over 13 years old, are outright lies. I unequivocally deny. Having participated in any such conduct at any time and with respect to any person. End quote. So there is very much an attempt at character assassination here right now. You know, Dan, in that statement last Thursday, calling Tiffany A. Johnston and Melanie Coburn liars. Jordan Sieve, in that statement on Friday, uh, saying, hey, this woman, Tiffany A. Johnston, left on great terms more than 13 years ago. Now, all of a sudden, she has a problem of having declined to be interviewed as part of of the Beth Wilkinson investigation, where all of this is going, who knows? Uh, I am not at the point at which I'm ready to say that this is, in fact, the end for Dan Snyder as the owner of the Commanders. This is the end of Dan Snyder as being the head commander of the Commanders. Uh, We still have a ways to go until we can say uh, that this is the end for Dan Snyder as the owner of the team with any real confidence. But I'll tell you this, I'm not ready to say that were definitely not at the end of Dan Snyder as the owner of the Commanders. Things are getting worse and worse for Donny Boy. Things are not getting better and better for Donny Boy. Things are getting worse and worse for him. And while he amazingly has survived all of the scandal over the last two years, that doesn't mean that he can survive scandal forever. Up next, NFL draft analyst Thor Nystrom of NBC Sports Edge on the quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL draft for our quarterback needy commanders off the Senior Bowl. This past Saturday afternoon, Thor was down in Mobile, Alabama, talked to a lot of people, witnessed a lot in terms of the quarterbacks. Uh, if you are a fan of the commanders taking the quarterback out of Liberty, Malik Willis, wait till you hear what Thor has to say. We'll get to that and much more with Thor
0: after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: A reminder to subscribe to the Al Galdi podcast if you don't already do that. Uh, Subscribing to the pod costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. Uh, If you're using Apple Podcasts, please write a brief one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. The ratings, the reviews, uh, they all help to make the podcast successful. Advertisers look at the ratings and the reviews, and I thank you very much for doing the ratings and the reviews. All right, time now for our special guest. He is one of the best people out there when it comes to talking NFL draft Thor Nystrom. He is the senior content creator for NFL Draft and college football coverage for NBC Sports Edge. You can follow Thor on Twitter at Thor uh, Thor joined us on the podcast last year for the Monday after the 2021 NFL Draft to review the then Washington football team's 2021 draft. And he joins us now to talk quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL Draft off providing great coverage of the Senior Bowl, which took place on Saturday afternoon in Mobile, Alabama. Thor, great to have you back on the pod, man. How are you? Hey, thanks so much, y'all. Always
2: good to be with you. I'm, I'm doing great. Um, trying to catch up on a little bit of sleep. It was a wild week in Mobile, for sure.
1: I hear you, man. I appreciate you coming on so much. So the Commanders, as you likely know, very much in the market for a quarterback this offseason. Commanders have the number 11 pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. This was, of course, a big year for the Senior Bowl in that five of the perceived Top six quarterbacks in the 2022 draft Ron on Senior Bowl rosters. Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Carson Strong, Sam Howell, and Malik Willis. And Willis is the guy who generated the most buzz during Senior Bowl week. To what extent did Willis up his stock during Senior Bowl week? Enormously.
2: Um, definitely of, of the six guys that were there, he upped it the most. He was the buzz of, of the town. It started on Tuesday at Tuesday's practices. He had a very good day there. He, he stood out above above the other five quarterbacks there. Wednesday was was the day where it was truly the Malik Willis show. That was the day where we had driving uh, rainstorms all day throughout practice in Mobile. Something that, where the elements really affected the quarterback play of the other five, but not Malik Willis. You know, whereas the, the, the rain was affecting the other guys' accuracy, their, their velocity, um, their ability to push the ball down the field to such a degree, by the way, Al, that I had and not just me, everyone had a harder time evaluating the wide receivers that day because the elements were playing that much of a factor with the other quarterbacks with Malik Willis it was as though he was playing in this sort of wind tunnel where the rain w- was not even there for him. Um, you know, his his balls were, were, you know, they always explode out of his hand. But the way they cut through that rain, it, it was like it, it didn't exist for him in the way it did for the other guys. You also got to see, uh, start to see a little bit more of his athleticism as the week went on. And for anyone that watched the Senior Bowl game on TV yesterday, uh, you got to see a couple of cool plays where, where he got out of the pocket, and, and he is just a terrifying proposition outside of the pocket. But the last thing I wanted to say about that is, um, what was especially impressive about Malik Willis coming out of this week as a winner is that these all-star events they're not they're, they're not designed to behoove a player of his skill set because at quarterback these 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 events it's for it's for in structure play um, you know where Malik Willis a lot of his production without a structure at Liberty. And, and this week, you 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 know, it's, it's not as much about the legs as, as about the processing in the pocket. This is the event where he was supposed to struggle a little bit, and he absolutely did not. He acquitted himself very well. Um, and, and later this month or at the beginning of next month at the NFL Combine, that will, that's the event that is specifically designed for Malik Willis. So expect his stock to go up even more when that happens.
1: Wow, interesting to hear that. Obviously, things can and will change and can and will evolve. But as things stand right now, is Malik Willis the QB1 for the 2022 draft?
2: There is still, you know, like we went into this thing where it was like there was there was seen as like this sort of quagmire at the top. Um, and, and, you know, consensusly, Malik Willis was more like four or five, six on a lot of guys board coming in. I did have him one on mine. Um, but like now he has he's moving up towards for, for me now. I, I feel even way stronger about that opinion. But for other folks now, you're seeing him start to jump up. There is no consensus right now. Uh, we will see if, if any of that starts to form later here in the process, especially after the combine. No consensus right now. But Malik Willis, You know, like I said, he, he's, he's jumped up a few spots at least on, on some of these guys' boards where he was lower before because he, he almost had to. Because the reason that you would you would rank him QB 4, 5, 6 coming into an event like that, it's because you wouldn't trust his, his in-structure play. But, but we all knew that he had the ridiculous athleticism. We all knew that he was awesome outside of structure. Then he goes, again, to, to this event where it's all inside of structure, and he is so clearly, you know, heads and shoulders above the other five guys there in Mobile. So I, I, I think there, there still is no consensus. You know, some people like Pickett. Some people like Corral, you know, the, the, the one guy that, that that wasn't there. And, and there are, are also some people that like Carson Strong. And certainly Malik Willis is going to be keeping one of more boards uh, this coming week than he was last week.
1: What to you are the most legitimate concerns about Malik Willis? It's
2: It's the thing of the... Certainly, the in structure play, and and it's in and, and, and that goes in and also into the accuracy and and the placement. The, those are the three things with him you, you want to see. Uh, for nice. me, he checked that box at, at least in terms of like. Now I feel pretty good that he's going to be able to develop that in structure uh, sort of a thing. The accuracy and the placement that that's something that you're you're still keeping an eye on that, that you know in, in terms of the projection because when you look at the adjusted accuracy numbers of those those top 6 guys that you were talking about at the outside of the show he he's on the low low end of that if he's not you know the, the guy that was on the bottom he's second to bottom like something like that but the thing is he has i mean that's one metric of play the other metrics of play are he is by far and away the most athletic quarterback in this class and by the way one of the Three or four uh, top scramblers coming in in the past 20-25 years. For for me, it's it's him and Lamar Jackson since I've been doing this in in terms of value added on with, with their legs. Malik Willis ran a four-three-seven confirmed as a sophomore at Auburn, so you already got that. So so he has he has the the quasi Lamar Jackson sort of athleticism outside of the pocket, but he's built more like a Jalen Hurts. So he has just like quasi Jalen Hurts power, and then he has that bazooka. So. He answered some of those you know, questions about the, you know, that you had about him coming in. But the other stuff, that's just a given with that.
1: We're talking quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL Draft off the Senior Bowl on Saturday afternoon with NFL Draft analyst Thor Nystrom of NBC Sports Edge. So the Commanders need a quarterback. The Commanders have the number 11 pick in the 2022 draft. Is Malik Willis worthy of that number 11 overall pick?
2: I believe that Malik will is, will be gone by 11. Yeah. Um, I, I cause, cause I think his stock is going to keep going up and keep going up. I, I heard from people in mobile that that swear he is going to go in the top 10. Um, there, the, the industry mock drafts don't seem to have caught up to that yet. Although you're starting to see him dotted way more in, in the first round, you know, so, some guys who are very plugged in saying that now he will be going in the first round. I, I think, whereas now you're, you know, before this week, you might have seen him not in the first round in some some of these mocks. Now you're seeing him at the end of it. I, I think that's just going to keep moving up. But um, if you're watching, it, he's one of those guys that absolutely would be in play there. Um, you know, along with you know Corral, Pickett. Um, I, you know, I, I think that's sort of the, the the short list right now.
1: So we keep hearing about the quality of the quarterback class for the 2022 NFL Draft. That this quarterback class isn't a very good quarterback class. I'd like to ask you this question. Would any of the quarterbacks in the twenty twenty-two draft be considered better prospects than any of the five quarterbacks who went in the first round of the twenty twenty-one draft? This is a great
2: question, Al. This is a very good question. Um, I for me, the I, I would put him above Mac. Okay. Um the, but the other ones so that's how the order would go for me. You'd have the, the four kids, uh, the top ones from last year to start. For me, then Malik would go five. You'd have Mac at six, um, and then, and then you start dotting them down after that. But no, that as far as the overall, uh, strength of the class compared to a couple of these classes we've had the past couple of years and with the five quarterbacks, uh, Lamar's, you know, class was five as well. Um, it, it's not quite as strong as, as, as those, those classes. No.
1: Okay, I want to get your takes on some of the other quarterbacks who were on the Senior Bowl rosters. Uh, Kenny Pickett, he was the quarterback in the 2022 draft. Who I like the best going into Senior Bowl week. I do know that we have the hand size thing with him for those unfamiliar with the Kenny Pickett hand size situation. Pickett Did not have his hand measured during Senior Bowl week. The reason is that he's double-jointed, so thus his right thumb naturally points in an odd direction. And so he's doing exercises to alleviate this so that he can get a proper and better measurement of his hand at the NFL scouting combine in March. I mean, to me, this hand-size stuff can be overrated. But where are you on Kenny Pickett as a quarterback prospect for the NFL?
2: By the way, the the hand size thing with him was was really weird because Scouts already had his hand size from like over the spring, like a a confirmed measurement. So it's just kind of weird that he didn't want to measure it. Um, He sort of made a story, I think, where there was none of them. He said he's going to measure it at at the combine. He's going to try to stretch out his hands. still. And so I I thought that was kind of funny. But to to your point, I don't think – to me, that's pretty close to a non-factor. The the kid played – Extensively at Pittsburgh over the last five years, I, I didn't see many issues with the ball squirting out of his hands and stuff like that. And, and people with the hand size thing—you got to remember, like, um so many examples of this. But a couple of years ago, uh, Joe Burrow came in and, and he measured with small hands, and then he he put out a tweet after that where it was like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm so sorry, I have to retire from the, the game of football because <laughs> my hands are too small to play. <laughs> so you know, for for me, that's you just kind of throw that stuff out and just focus on his game. There's a lot to like about Kenny Pickett. A lot to like, you know, on the field and in, in, in speaking with the Burrow Parallels. He he was one of those guys that had the, the one-year jump here at, at, at the end. In Mobile, he sort of, uh, I guess you would say he held serve, you know, as, as far as on the field where um, didn't really go up any, didn't really go down any, you know, there was nothing where, there was no wow factors, but there was there was also nothing that was going on with him where it was like, it stood out as, as being poor. And where he acquitted himself well in Mobile, it, it was an area of the process that we weren't allowed into. Um, he was getting some raves coming out of the team interviews. Um, I, I think both uh, – there was a couple different guys that reported yesterday. I'm, I'm blanking on the names, but, but uh, big-time uh, NFL reporters that reported that in informal polls that they had with scouts, the Kenny Pickett was was clearly interviewing the best. So, so in that one metric that the media did not get to see, he stood out. Um, as far as on the field, like I said, him and I, I would put Sam Howell in, in the same sort of category where they just sort of held steady with, with where they were. Didn't didn't rise, did not drop based on what happened to Mobile.
1: So you have Malik Willis number one right now. Do you have picket number two? i picking number two right now. Yeah, I,
2: I think so. The, the one, so, so the, the, the two kind of a uh, couple wild cards here for me are, are Carson strong because I, I love the kid's arm. He has an absolute bazooka. And by the way, that was confirmed in, in mobile. Like it, it, it's for real, the, the arm strength and stuff like that. And then the, the other one is Matt Corral. You know, the, the one kid that, that we did not get to see, um, my, my friend Benjamin Albright on, on Twitter had a really funny uh, tweet where he said, uh, the two biggest quarterback winners this week in Mobile are Malik Willis, dot dot dot, and Matt Corral. Yeah. You know, just just making that, that joke that you know no one else sort of jumped up like that. Corral, it's gonna be really interesting to watch this process, especially if you're a Washington fan, you know, and you're sitting in that slot and you know, at most, you know, maybe one or two quarterbacks goes above you. So you 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 should have access to one of at least one of the top three guys on your board, if if not one of the, the top two. Corral is a very interesting guy to watch um because he's he's super athletic you know we, uh sam howell also is you know so he got you sort of um th- those two things are comparable about the two how Howell does it to me does not have as strong of a pure arm as matt corral matt, matt corral has has a bazooka and i, I think you would have shown that um this week for, for me you put uh corral's arm strength in the top three of this class alongside willis and strong
1: With Sam Howell, so he had the great 2020 season, but he had the lackluster 2021 season due at least in part to North Carolina, having lost a bunch of offensive weapons, including now commander's receiver, Deami Brown. Does that drop in production for Howell concern you? It
2: does, yeah. It does, yeah. Because you, you know, the the year before and the year before that, um, like you mentioned, it wasn't just Diami. had the four NFL skill guys, right? The the two running backs, Javante and Michael Carter, and then the other one, Daz Newsome. That they lose off uh, you know, the team before last year coming into to this season, and once they do, the team falls off to six and seven. But it wasn't just that. Uh, Powell's passing numbers sort of fell off a cliff, and his it, it was weird to, to watch this past season because his game kind of changed, where he turned more into this sort of dual threat he ran for over a thousand yards he's not willing to, to, to he's not willing to, to do the coin flip thing throwing it into the tight windows when there's a shot that the, the you know the cornerbacks close he, he doesn't trust his arm that much um and, and so you saw a lot of that last year on film where it's like you know he, he, the, the wide receivers aren't getting as much separation and so instead of you know sort of taking that shot and trusting his arm he would take off and, and run around the tackles and there was one specific moment in practice i think this was on tuesday don't, don't quote me, but I, I think it was on Tuesday um, where uh, I was sort of flabbergasted because a, a specific thing that, that reminded me j- just of that sort of, you know, uh, um, risk aversion showed up where, where they were doing one on one drills, you know, with the cornerback against the receiver. And then you know, and then you had the quarterback throwing him the ball and, and, and they started the rep. Sam Howell looked, 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 and then threw the ball away. It was the only time I saw a quarterback throw the ball away in a one-on-one drill. And I was just looking at the media guys next to me like, is he is he kidding? He just stole a rep from the wide receiver and the cornerback in a thing that, that doesn't matter because he's, he's unwilling to test that window. That, for me, is, is sort of the one concern about, about Howell. And I, th- I, think it's, I think it's something to actually look into.
1: Yeah, that's a great nugget. That's interesting that Sam Howell would make a decision like that you reference Carson Strong. We know that he has a cannon of an arm, but he also has this problematic knee. How much should a team be downgrading Strong because of that knee, especially given these days how valuable it is to have a quarterback who can run?
2: Yeah, and, and it sure is, Al. It sure is. It's, it, that, that's a big one. Um, that's something where we need the, the medical rechecks from, from the combine, um, where we can get uh, an objective look at it. I heard positive um, – um, sort of scuttlebutt about that knee, um, you know, in in Mobile, but I I want it right from the NFL doctors. Um, and, and 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 by the way, speaking to the positives about the knee that, that were actually apparent on the field, here's what I liked about it: Carson Strong walked out onto the field on Tuesday without that knee brace that we were accustomed to seeing, all, you know, all last year. So so right away, it's like, oh, okay, he's coming out without it, and he did play the last regular season uh, game without it uh, mm-hmm. this past year. But all the other ones, he was playing with that brace. So, you know, I thought maybe he would have that brace on again, but he did not. And he looked a little bit better on the hoofs than than I had anticipated because he, he was a little bit uh, more fleet of, rel- relatively speaking, he, he's no Malik, he's the opposite of Malik Wilson in terms of this, but he was more fleet on his foot than, than he'd been during the majority of, of this past season. Because, you know, a part of the thing was you had that, that Baki knee brace on. The other thing about it was the reason that the knee brace was on was because he had rushed back after surgery on the very early end of, of his doctor's timeline. And and basically the, the knee brace was the only thing that could allow him to keep going because his knee would swell up. It's the only thing that they kept that swelling down. So he, he had to wear it. It compromises mobility for sure. And you can even see some of this in, in, in his on field, uh, sort of advanced numbers that, that go beyond, you know, like, like, you know, things like rushing. Well, one of the things from last year was he was one of the best quarterbacks in the, in, in this class in terms of, um, uh, clean pocket play if you look like pff uh, grade within a clean pocket but he was the worst um, at least of the top guys in terms of his play under pressure and so it becomes is that something that's inherent to him because he's never going to have that that sort of athleticism or is some of that just because you know of, of the the situation he was in last year where th- that knee was compromised in a way that maybe it won't going forward. Again, we have to check on, on the rechecks on that. And he wasn't able to get away. And, it, and he was having to throw all with his arm and, and you know, without some of his base. You know, he, he had to wing a lot of those throws without having, you know, full use of, of that base um, and, and still impressed. But, again, with the pressure uh, grade going down. So I, I need to see the, the health of that knee um,
1: from, from, you know, an objective source. One more quarterback for you. Desmond Ritter, are you a believer in him? I am not. No, he, he,
2: for, for me, he would be right now coming out. I, I think right now I'd probably have him QB6 on, on my list. And I coming into this uh, event, I think I had him five. So I, I, I did uh, tick him down um, afterwards on the plane ride home, actually. Um, in practices, you know, of these six guys that we're talking about that were in Mobile, he was the least impressive. He was the one guy where, you know, like the other guys, you know, sort of talking about like Willis stood out above and then some of these other guys held serve. I, I thought strong had a solid week. Um, I, I would probably have put him the, the number two guy, I guess, just because he answered the questions about the knees. But a lot of the other guys so, sort of held serve. Whereas Desmond Ritter, um, you know, objectively, uh, you know, he talked to a lot of people coming out there. He, 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 he did not look good a, a couple of those days. And it had to do with, with the bugaboo he had in college, accuracy and placement. Tuesday, the very first practice day. He had some cringe-inducing throws. Like he, he was—he was missing guys, like trying to throw screens and, and falling short, or, or or you know missing wide-open receivers, stuff like that. So on Wednesday, you know, I mentioned that was the driving rain day. That was the day where Malik Willis came out and was like, "I clearly have the best arm in this class. Watch." And with Desmond Ritter. Whereas with, with Wills, it didn't affect him at all. With Ritter, he was one of those guys that it really affected, and and so it, it it was you know again it was it was affecting the placement and accuracy even more than it had the day before to, to the degree that Desmond Ritter on Wednesday he starts scrambling a lot more, which is you know he he, he does have a dual uh, threat element to his game, but like these were team drills, like you know if you want the ball in the air there, and he did not want to put the ball in the air because of the elements. I think he knew that that his accuracy and touch was already is, is not very good was being affected even more and he didn't want to put that on film so he was just like unless it's a freebie throw i'm taking off i just don't think that's going to work for him in the nfl because he doesn't have the high you know octane athleticism for instance of malik willis so his week
1: did concern me for sure okay so just to wrap up then for the commanders it sounds like the guys they should be thinking about at least now and things can change but malik willis kenny pickett Carson Strong, maybe, depending on that knee, and Matt Corral, depending on what we see from him moving forward. Do I have that right? For me, yeah, th- th- that would probably be it. I,
2: I do think Strong is going to go a little bit lower than that. So if, if he was the guy that you know, he ended up settling on, you-, you like what the doctors were saying about his knee, you could probably trade down a little bit and still get him. But yeah, for for me, that that would be the list of the guys that I had my eyes on. Um, I wouldn't be taking Sam Howell there if, if it was me personally. Yeah. Some people have different opinions on him, but yeah, for for me, it, it would be Willis or
1: Pickett right now. Great insight, great analysis. You can follow Thor Nyström on Twitter at Thor Check out his work on NBC Sports Edge. Thor, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciated it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you. Well, the end of this current incarnation of the Wizards could be in just a few days. Uh, the NBA trade deadline is on Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. For weeks now, we've had all kinds of reports swirling about the Wizards having players on the trade block, right? Spencer Dinwiddie, Montrezl Harrell, Dobby Bertans, uh, not Bradley Beal, at least we don't think, but who the heck knows. Uh, for weeks now, we've had all kinds of signs of dysfunction On the Wizards. And for months now, we've had the Wizards' season crumbling. And that crumbling continued over the weekend, one day after a stunning departure from the Wizards' front office. More on that departure in a bit. But the Wizards on Saturday night got completely outclassed by the best team in the NBA. The Wizards on Saturday night got, as my man, the Iron Sheik, would say, made humble by the best team in the NBA. Make you humble, Yes, yeah, cheeky baby. The Wizards got made humble on Saturday night. The Wizards fell to 24-28 with a 95-80 loss to the Phoenix Suns at Capital One Arena. The Wizards lost for a seventh time in eight games. The Wizards fell to just 14-25 since their 10-3 start to the season. The Suns improved to an NBA best 42-10. and The Suns put the Wizards in an Iron Sheik like Camel Clutch and made the Wizards humble. Make you humble! Yes, Sheiki, exactly. Uh, there was no Bradley Beale again for the Wizards. Uh, he did not play for a third consecutive game due to an injured left wrist. The Wizards last Tuesday evening announced that Beale would miss at least the next four games, meaning that he will be out through the NBA trade deadline on Thursday afternoon. The Wizards on Saturday night did get back Thomas Bryant. Uh, he returned from a one-game absence caused by a sprained red ankle that he suffered in the 112 98 loss at the Milwaukee Bucks last Tuesday night. But Bryant on Saturday night, like most of the Wizards, did basically nothing. Uh, Thomas Bryant in 17 minutes, 28 seconds as a starter, five points and four rebounds. The Wizards got ripped by the Suns on Saturday night. The Wizards did not hold a lead in the game over the final three quarters. The Wizards began the game on an 8-2 run and then allowed the Suns to go on an 83-41 run to trail by 36 points at 85-49 late in the third quarter. An 83-41 run. The Wizards, for a sizable chunk of the game, got more than doubled up By the Suns. Again, an 83 41 run. There's no overstating just how bad the Wizards were offensively on Saturday night. The Wizards were horrendous offensively. The Wizards scored just 80 points. That is the Wizards' lowest point total in a regular season game since a 98 75 loss at the Dallas Mavericks on January 22nd, 2018. It had been more than four years since we saw offensive ineptitude. Like we saw on Saturday night, Uh, the Wizards scored a pathetic 32 points in the first half, including an even more pathetic 11 points in the second quarter. The Wizards for the game went just 5-24 of on threes. The Wizards for the game went just 25-61 of on twos. Now, the Suns are an elite defensive team. That is true. The Suns this season, as of games through Saturday, number two in the NBA in team defensive rating, at 105.1, team defensive rating is points allowed by the team per 100 possessions per NBA.com. But still, even with the Suns being a great defensive team, that does not excuse the Wizards being as bad offensively as they were on Saturday night. Wizards head coach Wes Unseld Jr. during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on why the Wizards were so putrid offensively.
3: Uh, well, part of it is they're a very really good defensive team. Uh, they're switching on and off the ball. You know, it just forces you to, uh, you know, make, make the right read at the, at the right time. Uh, they kind of bottle you up with their physicality. Uh, their bigs are down the floor and, you know, it kind of, it's tough to kind of get uh, open threes, uh, their length at the rim. Um, but, you know, they're a very good defensive team. I thought we kind of fell into that at times and we started to stagnate. Uh, some of those possessions were, I think, haphazard <laughs> and we ended didn't own our spots at times, guys got into us, We got pushed around a bit, um, but uh, we've seen that before, you know, I think it's just one of those things we have to continue to work through. Uh, was very little difference, you know, in the second group, that fourth quarter, obviously different personnel, but um, just the, uh, the energy we played with, I thought was, was better.
1: Ah, uh, yes, the energy, uh, more on that shortly. The Wizards on Saturday night got destroyed on the boards. Uh, the Wizards got out-rebounded by the Suns 64-42. The Wizards had just eight offensive rebounds to the Suns 20. The Wizards allowed DeAndre Ayton in just 23 minutes, 57 seconds as a starter to have 16 rebounds, including six offensive boards. And the Wizards allowed our old pal, the former Wizard, JaVale McGee, in just 14:23 off the bench to have 10 rebounds, including three offensive boards. Now, the Wizards in this 15-point loss to the Suns actually weren't bad defensively. Uh the Wizards held the Suns to just 95 points, just 8 of 31 on threes, just 32 of 68 on twos, and the Suns went to 7 of 14 on free throws. So defense really wasn't the problem for the Wizards in this game, but offense was. Uh, offense was a big problem, as was rebounding. Uh, the Wizards starters were hideous in this game. Kyle Kuzma, who has been good overall this season, but he was not good on Saturday night. Just one of five on threes, just two of seven on twos. He scored just nine points. He had a game worse plus minus rating of minus 27 in 2352 as a starter. Spencer Dinwiddie, another weak offensive game for him. 0 of two on threes, one of three on twos. He scored just four points in 2304. As a starter. Cantavius Caldwell Pope. Uh he has been struggling here lately. Uh KCP on Saturday night went just one of four on threes, just two of five on twos, had eight points in twenty-four-oh three as a starter. Now, the Wizards' leading scorer in the game was Montrez Harrell. Uh Harrell in 23 28 off the bench, five of twelve from the field, all twos, five of five on free throws. He finished with 15 points and seven rebounds. Now, Harrell is set to be an unrestricted free agent this summer, so he may be as good as Gone come The NBA trade deadline on Thursday. And so Harold sounded off during his postgame press conference. And good for him for doing this because Montrez Harold, to me, spoke truth during his postgame press conference. Harold, during his postgame presser, got asked about the mood of the Wizards right now. Here's what he said
4: It sucks, bro. That's the mood of the team. It fucking sucks. They're coming in here and, you know, teams are basically, you know, beating our ass, bro from start to finish so uh, it sucks man nobody likes losing um everybody our like room are competitive um minded people and you know love to compete and get out there but i mean it just sucks right now because like you said you know either eight games of the, or the last eight games we played you know we lost seven of them i mean and uh, it's tough for anybody to kind of you know withstand or be able to kind of you know have on their plate so you know that that's the energy in the room right now um it just fucking sucks um, you know, but I don't think nobody in the locker room has, you know, quit. I don't think nobody in the locker room has given up. And I think we're more so just frustrated trying to figure it out and, you know, trying to understand what really works more so than anything. But, um, you know, my perspective is, you know, it just fucking sucks. Um, you know, being in the locker room, coming in, you know, night in, night out. And, you know, it's ending with a loss. You know, I love to compete. I love to win. You know, I love to be able to help my team win. So I think that's, you know, the overall engine in locker room right now.
1: So how about that? Montres Harrell on Saturday night on the mood of the Wizards, quote, it sucks, bro. That's the mood of the team. It effing sucks. End quote. Sounds like everything is just hunky-dory with the Wizards right now, huh? Uh, More from Montrezl Harrell during his post-game press conference on Saturday night. He said that the Wizards weren't ready to play, which, by the way, does not at all reflect well on Wes Unsell Jr., that a guy like Harrell, who's a high-energy guy, said that the Wizards were not ready to play. But Harrell got asked if the Wizards not being ready to play was an energy thing. Here was his response.
4: Uh, man, I don't know, but I'm tired of hearing the energy thing, bro. Like, if you can't energize yourself or, or fire yourself up to be able to come here to play the game of basketball, bro, which is your job, and you make a lot of money to do it, brother, then you're in the wrong field, man. So I, I'm I'm tired of hearing that, bro. Like, all right, that's just an excuse. Simple as that. Like, if you got to have somebody pep you up or fire you up in order to get out here and play basketball, bro, you make millions of dollars to do, not go into a corporate job. You know, millions of dollars to play a game of basketball, there. you're in the wrong profession, bro. You already lost.
1: Great stuff from Montrezl Herald postgame on Saturday night. He, to me, was speaking truth. And he, to me, provided yet another pulling back of the curtain on what's going on here with the Wizards. You know, like, why are the Wizards so bad right now? The team has real and obvious chemistry problems. And so that's why I do believe some form of a major shakeup is coming prior to the NBA trade deadline this Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, speaking of that trade deadline, uh, Davi Spur Times, in case you're curious, did play on Saturday night, but he played for a mere seven minutes, four seconds off the bench, uh, this off him having been a DNP C D in each of the Wizards' previous four games. So that's what went down with the Wizards' game over the weekend, but we also, over the last few days, had a surprising departure from the Wizards' front office. Sashi Brown, on Friday, resigned from the Wizards in order to become president of the NFL's Baltimore Ravens. Uh, The news of Sashi Brown leaving the Wizards to become president of the Ravens was a stunner. You know, the Wizards just promoted Sashi Brown this past November 17th. The Wizards on November 17th announced promotions and contract extensions for Sashi Brown and Tommy Shepard. Brad was promoted from chief planning and operations officer to president of Monumental Basketball and special advisor to the office of the CEO at Monumental Sports and Entertainment. So Sashi Brown promoted and extended on November 17th, but he then resigns less than three months later. Seems kind of odd now, doesn't it? Uh, now, Sashi Brown does have history in the NFL. He's a big analytics guy. Prior to joining the Wizards, was best known for having served as executive vice president of football operations for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Sashi Brown served in that role January 2016 to December 2017. He was initially hired by the Browns in January 2013 as the executive vice president slash general counsel. So Sashi Brown leaving the Wizards for the Ravens may be more about him wanting to go back to something that he knows and loves, the NFL, especially considering the prominent position that he's getting with the Ravens, right? President of the team. But if you're a Wizards fan like me, no way can you look at Sashi Brown's departure and not at least wonder about if this is a case of a smart and talented guy jumping ship while the ship is sinking. You know, it was on July 22nd, 2019, that we had the creation of this thing called Monumental Basketball. Uh, Monumental Basketball was defined in a press release as, quote, a newly formed collective that includes the Washington Wizards, Washington Mystics, Capital City Go-Go, and Wizards District Gaming. And, quote, Monumental Basketball was supposed to change the culture and direction of of the Wizards. Sashi Brown was a major part of monumental basketball. Well, here we are now, less than three years later, and the Wizards still have major problems, and Sashi Brown is up and left. You know, it's interesting how all of this played out. The Wizards announced Sashi Brown's promotion and contract extension on Wednesday morning, November 17th. It was that night that the Wizards fell to 10-4 and with a 97-87 loss at the Charlotte Hornets. That loss started this horrendous slide for the Wizards, who again now are just 14-25 and since their 10-3 start to the season and could be about to blow things up in a big way come Thursday afternoon's NBA trade deadline. So the Wizards on Wednesday morning, November 17th, announced promotions and contract extensions for Sashi Brown and Tommy Shepard. And that night, that night, the crumbling of the Wizards season began. It's as if the basketball gods planned this so that it would occur in like the most cruel and poetic way. Uh, But there is a lot going on with the Wizards right now. So little of what's going on is good. And we'll see what happens come Thursday afternoon's NBA trade deadline at three. Uh, Next up for the Wizards in terms of a game is a game on Monday night, and uh, this will be a game against another really good team off the loss to the NBA-leading Suns at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. The Wizards on Monday night will host the Miami Heat at seven. Well, as we have discussed on the podcast, this season is one of the worst seasons in recent memory for college basketball in the area. A lot of that has to do with both Maryland and Georgetown being really bad. And uh, Maryland and Georgetown being really bad continued on Sunday afternoon with both the Terrapins and the Hoyas losing to ranked teams in convincing fashion. Uh, However, there is hope for college basketball In the area, the hope comes to us via the Commonwealth. Of Virginia as both Virginia and Virginia Tech are doing better. Both the Cavaliers and the Hokies won on Saturday. We begin with Maryland. It fell to 11-12 and 12 overall and 3-9 and nine in the Big Ten with an 82-67 loss at number 16 Ohio State on Sunday afternoon. The Terps finishing this season with a losing overall record is very much a possibility. The Terps' only lead in the game was a 2-0 lead in the first two minutes of the game, the Terps had allowed Ohio State to go on a 58-34 run. The Terps' defense was really bad in this game. Terps allowed Ohio State to go 11 of 26 on threes. The Terps allowed Ohio State to go 19 of 33 on twos. Terps got outscored in the paint 32-22. The Terps allowed Ohio State to finish with 17 assists versus six turnovers. The Terps got scorched by E.J. Liddell. And look, E.J. Liddell is a great player, but E.J. Liddell went off on Sunday afternoon. 2 of 4 on 3, 7 of 10 on 2s. He finished with 24 points, 11 rebounds, and 5 assists versus no turnovers in 31 minutes, 30 seconds as a starter. So really bad defense for Maryland, really bad offense for Maryland. The Terps went just 10 of 29 on threes as the Terps continue to be among the worst three-point shooting teams in the country. The Terps now are shooting just 31.78% on threes this season. Terps also went just 13-30 to on twos. Uh, very inefficient games for Maryland's top two guards. Fats Russell and Derek Ayala, those guys have combined 7-24 of 24 from the field. Fats Russell, the Maryland point guard, the Rhode Island transfer, he went just 1-6 of six on threes, just 4-9 on twos, in 33-19 as a starter finished with 12 points, 6 rebounds and 5 assists versus two turnovers. Eric Ayala just 2 of 7 on threes, 0 of 2 on twos and 32-03 as a starter. He finished with 8 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists versus three turnovers and two steals. The bright spot for the Terps was Dante Scott. You know, Dante Scott some games gives you like next to nothing, but other games looks great and he looked great in this game, 5 of 8 on threes. Uh, three of five on twos, four of six on free throws. He finished with 25 points and six rebounds in 35-33 as a starter. So I do want to give credit to Dante Scott. He was good, but too many other Terps were not. And bottom line, the Terps' worst season in decades continues. I tell you, Mark Turgeon stepping down as Maryland head coach on December 3rd. Remember, just two days before the Terps Big Ten opener. That certainly was not the courageous thing to do, you know. That certainly was not the respectable thing to do. But that may have been the smart thing to do because at least the Turge has spared himself having to see the bad team that he put together get stomped game in and game out. Next up for the Terps, home to Iowa Thursday night at seven. But as bad as Maryland's season is, Georgetown's season is worse. The Hoyas are in the midst of a nightmare this season. Georgetown fell to six and. 15 overall and 0-10 in the Big East with a 71-52 loss to number 15 Providence at Capital One Arena on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, the Hoyas now are 0-10 in the Big East. That's time for the ninth worst start in Big East play in a season in the history of the conference. Uh, Also, Georgetown now has lost 11 consecutive games. We had the following tweet on Sunday afternoon, From longtime college basketball insider Jeff Goodman, who now is a basketball analyst for stadium, tweeted Goodman, quote, Georgetown now has lost 11 consecutive games. Unacceptable for a program, the stature of Georgetown. I hate to say it, but time to admit the Patrick Ewing coaching era just isn't working. End quote. Uh, That is significant when a guy like Jeff Goodman puts something like that out there. Like what he put out there isn't some stroke of brilliance, okay? But when a guy like Goodman puts that out there, uh, that to me is quite telling. Um, Is there any arguing with what Jeff Goodman put out there that the Patrick Ewing coaching era just isn't working? It isn't working. Like what's the rebuttal to that? You know, what's the response to that? What's the counterpoint to that Goodman tweet? About Patrick. This Georgetown season is a complete disaster. On the flip side, by the way, Providence is rolling this season. Providence now 20 2 overall. First time since the 1972 73 season that Providence has been 20 2. And Providence, with this victory at Georgetown, improved to 10 and 1 in the Big East for the first time. In program history, uh the Hoyas completely collapsed in the second half of this game. The Hoyas early in the second half led by three points at 32-29, but the Hoyas allowed Providence to go on a 39-16 run that put the Hoyas down by 20 points at 68-48. Biggest reason for the Hoyas collapse was their defense. Uh Georgetown has been a really bad defensive team for years now, and the defense really bad again on Sunday afternoon. Hoyas allowed Providence to go 12 of 25 on threes, including 7-12 on threes in the second half. The Hoyas had no answer for Jared Bynum. Uh, Jared Bynum could not miss in this game. Bynum in 31 minutes off the bench, 7-8 of eight on threes. He had 32 points, 5 steals, 5 rebounds, and 2 assists versus 4 turnovers. How about this? Jared Bynum in the second half on Sunday afternoon, personally, outscored Georgetown. Bynum in the second half on Sunday afternoon scored 27 points. The Hoyas in the second half on Sunday afternoon scored 22 points. So in the second half, it was Jared Bynum, 27, Georgetown, 22. Jared Bynum was incredible. And if you know your area basketball, the name Jared Bynum is familiar. Jared Bynum went to my high school. Uh, Jared Bynum went to Georgetown Prep High School in Rockville, Maryland. Another product of Georgetown Prep conquering. Uh, Although in this instance, the conquering came at the expense of of Georgetown University. And yes, you do have to ask the question, why is a guy in Jared Bynum who went to Georgetown Prep in Rockville going to college at Providence, as opposed to, say, I don't know, Georgetown or even Maryland? Uh, Look, Georgetown is just awful defensively. This has been, to me, the biggest failure of Patrick Ewing's tenure as Hoyas head coach, him not being able to have teams that play good defense. The Hoyas, as of games through Sunday, are just 252nd of 358 teams in Division I in adjusted defensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. Adjusted defensive efficiency is points allowed for 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. Uh, but also for Georgetown in this loss to Providence on Sunday afternoon, was the Hoyas struggling offensively? Uh, Georgetown went just 3 of 21 on threes, including just 1 of 14 on threes in the second half. The Hoyas had just 9 assists versus 19 turnovers. Uh, Those responsible for the bad offense included Donald Carey. He went just one of eight on threes in 36 minutes as a starter. He did go eight of eight on free throws, finished with 11 points, three rebounds, and three assists, but also four turnovers. Caden Rice just one of seven on threes in 20 minutes off the bench. He scored just five points. Amino Muhammad did have a good game. He went seven of 11 from the field, all twos. He did go just four of eight on free throws, but he finished with 18 points, three steals, four rebounds, and two assists versus two turnovers in 36 minutes as a starter. I do want to salute one of my favorite people in the business, Rich Votkin, the legendary radio voice of the Hoyas. Uh, This game was the one- 1,500th career game for Rich Vodkin calling games for the Hoyas. Just an incredible milestone. 1,500 career games for Rich Vodkin as the radio voice of the Hoyas. Rich's first season calling Hoyas games was the 1974 75 season. That's crazy when you think about that. Uh, I, as a punk kid in college and then shortly after graduating from Maryland, had the pleasure of serving as a studio producer for Georgetown Basketball. So I worked with Rich. This is like 1999 to 2002. Uh, Rich, a total class act, really nice guy. I had Rich on my radio shows a bunch over the years. He was always willing to come on with me. Uh, Very accommodating. And appreciate this about Rich Vodkin. He does these Georgetown games on his own. He doesn't work with a color commentator. He doesn't even have a studio host who handles pregame halftime and postgame. No, these Georgetown basketball radio broadcasts are one-man shows and have been for years. That's not easy to do. Solo broadcasting is not easy. And yet Rich has done it for nearly 50 years. So props to the great... Rich Fodkin. If only the actual Georgetown men's basketball program was as good and consistent as Rich's. 0 and 10 in the Big East. Incredible. Next up for Georgetown at DePaul Wednesday night. At nine. Uh, all right, so the bad times continue for Maryland and Georgetown, but things are looking better for Virginia and Virginia Tech. Virginia improved to 14 and 9 overall and 8 and 5 in the ACC with a 71 58 win over Miami at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on Saturday evening. The Cavaliers led for the entire second half. The Cavs' defense was great. You know, their defense uh, was a problem as recently as just a few games ago, but the defense has started to settle into being. What we've become accustomed to with Tony Bennett as UVA head coach, Cavs held Miami to just 58 points. Cavs held Miami to just 4 of 17 on threes. The Cavs got Miami to commit 13 turnovers. The Cavs totaled 11 steals. And the Cavs did all of this without fouling. Miami did not have a single free throw attempt the entire game. How about that? Zero free throw attempts for the Hurricanes at Virginia on Saturday evening. Uh also the Wahoos offense was very efficient. Who's went eight of fifteen on threes, twenty-two of thirty-five on twos, uh, three of three on free throws. So neither team was at the free throw line a bunch, but Virginia did make all three of the team's free throw attempts. And the Who's had twenty-three assists on thirty-made field goals. This really was a vintage Virginia win under Tony Bennett. Great defense. And efficient offense. Big game for the Indiana transfer. Armand Franklin, 3 of 8 on threes, 5 of 8 on twos, 3 of 3 on UVA's only free throw attempts of the game. He finished with 22 points, 3 rebounds, 4 assists versus 1 turnover, and 4 steals in 34 minutes, 30 seconds as a starter. East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner, 6 and 9 from the field, all twos. He finished with 12.7 rebounds and 4 assists versus 1 turnover and 35 59. As a starter, Reese Beekman, 101 on threes, 3 of 5 on twos. He finished with 9 points, 10 assists versus 3 turnovers and 2 steals and 35 15 as a starter. Reese Beekman now has had at least 7 assists in 5 of UVA's last 7 games. Next up for Virginia, a huge game at number 9 Duke Monday night at 7. Here was Tony Bennett after this win over Miami and Charlottesville on Saturday evening.
3: I think you just you work you show up at practice you have a quality practice and work and you know each game is an opportunity to uh, to play and to to see if you've improved and go after it and um, but I'm not naive enough to think oh yeah we got it the second you think you've arrived the second with the saying the defense never rests you you can never assume anything you just got to keep working on your prep and your games and again in this league it appears you know if you're right and you're ready you're gonna have a chance you know I, Next game we got to, you know, playing obviously the top of our league and and just be as ready as we can and step into that one and um, yeah never get too high, never get too low and just see quality and that's what I think these guys have bought into and and they're working and they're they're connected as in terms of how they play for each other and it doesn't seem like there's any issues even when we were struggling like, oh, I need to get this or I need to get that and uh, I think that's a, a unified team.
1: Yes, it is. And then with Virginia Tech, it improved to 13-10 and overall and 5-7 in the ACC with a 76-71 win at Pitt on Saturday night. So the Hokies now have won three consecutive games off a 2-7 and start in the ACC, although this win at Pitt became way closer than it should have been. Uh, the Hokies early in the second half led by 28 points at 52-24. The Hokies then allowed Pitt to go on a 47-22 run that cut the Hokies lead to just three points at 74-71 with seconds left in the second half. But the Hokies ultimately prevailed. Uh, this could have been a disastrous loss for the Hokies, but it was not. Tech's defense was not good in this game. Tech allowed Pitt to go 9 of 18 on threes. Tech allowed Pitt to go 16 of 26 on twos. Tech had no answer for Femi O'Dukali, who went five of seven on threes, finished with 25 points, three assists versus three turnovers and six steals. But Tech's offense, really good for a third consecutive game. Tech had an incredible first half. Tech in the first half went 10 of 13 on threes and 8 of 11 on twos and scored 49 points. So Tech in the first half went 18 of 24 from the field, 75% shooting from the field. That shooting percentage set a new program record for highest team shooting percentage in a half of an ACC game. Tech could not miss in the first half of this game. Uh, Tech for the game went 14-26 on threes and 12-19 to on twos. I've talked about Virginia Tech actually being one of the better offensive teams in the country this season. Tech, as of games through Sunday, number 19 in Division I in adjusted offensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. Adjusted offensive efficiency is points per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. Uh, Some standouts for the Hokies. Storm Murphy, three of six on threes, four of four on twos. He finished with 20 points, four assists versus two turnovers and three rebounds in 28 minutes as a starter. Naheem Aline, four of seven on threes, one of one on twos. He finished with 14 points, four rebounds and two steals in 33 minutes as a starter. Justin Mutz had a mixed game. He in 33 minutes as a starter went two of three on threes, finished with 16 points, five steals, and five rebounds. But he also went just three of seven on twos and just four six on free throws and had two assists versus eight turnovers. Uh, Like I said, this was not necessarily a perfect game for Virginia Tech, but this was another win. So Tech won at Pitt on Saturday night. And next up for Tech is a home game against Pitt on Monday night. Virginia Tech will host Pitt Monday night at seven. All right. That will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com Tuesday show episode 246 will feature a special guest, Joe fan. He is the co host of the bet to win podcast. He prior to that covered the Seattle Seahawks for NBC sports Northwest. Joe is a great guy to talk about Russell Wilson. Yes what is the chance truly that the Seahawks would trade Wilson this offseason? Off the Pro Bowl photo of Jonathan Allen, Russell Wilson, and their wives. What are we looking at here, okay? Now, I have a hard time seeing the Seahawks trading Wilson, but that doesn't mean that that can't happen. And that obviously doesn't mean that the commanders shouldn't try to trade for Wilson. You know, the sense that you get is that the commanders may well make their play for a franchise quarterback. Prior to the NFL draft, that some sort of a move for a veteran quarterback is coming for the commanders, could that move possibly be a trade? For Russell Wilson, we'll talk about that with Joe Fan on Tuesday's show. Also on Tuesday's show, post game games on Monday night for the Wizards, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. The Wizards will host the Miami Heat Monday night at seven. Virginia will be at number nine Duke Monday night at seven, and Virginia Tech will host Pitt Monday night at seven. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday.
4: It sucks, bro. That's the mood of the team. It fucking sucks.